Well, thanks for joining us this morning. Uh, you guys are kind of the, we are going to get up and show up, even though body time says something different. I'm showing up anyway. Um, some of you maybe even feel like this is sleeping in. So I'm glad that you're here this morning. I'm glad that you made it. Um, this morning, we're continuing our series on awakenings and talking about awakening to life and what that, what kind of life that we're to awaken to. So let me start this morning by maybe uh, reminding you of like something that was important in this story of the prodigal son that we've been exploring, something that you probably have experienced at some point too, um, being lost. I mean, have you ever been lost someplace, like really lost and had that feeling of being lost? When I was a kid, I remember being lost in the Canadian wilderness. Um, like my parents had just dropped me off there, okay? They were like fishy. Uh, I mean, I know... I don't, wouldn't blame them, being the kind of kid that I was, but that's not what happened. They, we were actually fishing, and my grandparents, my cousins, my parents, they were all like kind of spread around on this lake, and there was a path that went between the two places between where they were fishing. And so they were just like, oh, sure, just, you know, just follow the path. And, of course, this is, let this be a warning to any of you who ever go on a hike with me, okay? If I say I think we should go that way, don't just take my word for it unless you're really up for an adventure, because okay, I, I may not know anything about where I'm going. I do not have a good sense of direction. And so I got lost. And I got so like, I just kept coming out to the lake and I couldn't figure out where it was. And, and it was like on this little peninsula. So I ended up on the other side. And that's why part of the reason nothing looked familiar. And so finally, I just got to the point, I was, I was like getting to the point of like, I mean, I'd been, I'd been trying to find my way, like a 10 minute journey was taking me like an hour. And so I knew that it was like not good. So, so finally I did the thing what, what any young man would do at my age, I screamed the bloody murder until someone came to my rescue. And in screaming, finally someone came because they were pretty sure I was getting eaten by a bear. And I'm like, no, no, I was just lost, you know? And so I found my way back. But you know that moment, though, in your gut when you are lost, that moment of sense of like, like I don't know if I can find my way back. I am alone and on my own, and I am not Bear Gorillas. I am not going to survive in the wilderness. And and that feeling then of that moment when my cousins came around the corner and I saw them and they found me. And I wasn't alone anymore and I knew that they would be able to find their way back. That feeling of being found, of like not being on your own, that, that feeling of like relief that comes over you. This is, this is kind of that, that moment today and, and what we've all felt at some time in our life when we felt lost in life. And it's one thing to be physically lost. You know, it's one thing to have that sense of, like, I'm physically lost. I could go hungry. Uh, you know, I, I could be alone out here. I could get eaten by a bear. Like, that's, that's one thing. But to be spiritually lost, to be lost in your life and not know which way to turn and not know the story that God wants to write it and what real fulfillment feels like, to be alone and not feel like you're really connected to God and that there's a purpose for your life, to not know that you're deeply loved. Like that is an entirely different thing. And the story of the prodigal is this story of, of returning home, of someone going from lost to found, and that relief that happens of being deeply loved. And so the invitation today, and what we're going to talk about today, is this invitation of like, what does it mean to be found? What does it mean when, once you are found, the kind of life that God wants to give you, the, the brand new kind of life, and that we can have hope in that? And that hope comes in different forms, and, and I want to talk to you a little bit about what the prodigal son experienced, the invitation that he was offered from his own father to be found, and what being found looked like. 
So today, if you'll open up uh, your outlines, found in a little thing that looks like the scoop here. Inside, there'll be an outline we could follow along this morning as we talk about how do I awaken to a life-changing journey, to a life-changing journey with Jesus? What is it that I am being offered through this story that Jesus is telling? And awakening to a life-changing journey, when we want to awaken to that, the first thing that, that in this story that we take note of is that awakening to the story of Jesus and life change of Jesus is celebrating grace every day in your life. It's learning how to celebrate. Now, I don't know if you know this, but celebrating is something God likes to do. I mean, and if everyone doubted that, which is why I think Jesus included it in the story, they, everybody kind of thought God is more of this cosmic killjoy, the party pooper, the grand party pooper who just has rules that you have to follow and it's just dredging through life and you hope he's not coming after you. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 that's not who the Father is. The Father is someone who when there's a reason to celebrate, he knows how to celebrate. Now, the reason I say this is because if you look at the story of the prodigal son in chapter, Luke, Luke chapter 15, and you back up a little bit in Luke chapter 15, you'll see that when Jesus began to tell these stories, he didn't just tell the story of the prodigal son. He told three stories. And the people that were showing up to hear the stories, of course, they're notorious sinners, there's religious Pharisees, all kind of religious folks there as well. And he's about to tell the story. But before he tells the story of the prodigal son, he tells two stories. One is about a shepherd who is the sheep. So there's a hundred sheep, they're out in the pasture and this one shepherd he, he loses one sheep so he's got 99 and there's just one that wanders off i mean it's just one i mean you got to keep the 99 safe right no, no 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 he wanders off he says if that one is lost i'm going to leave the 99 to go find the one and when he finally he searches all over to find this one and he finally finds this one, and the one is safe, and he carries the sheep back with him, and as he enters back into the village, he says, celebrate with me. The, what was lost is now found. I found my lost sheep. I'm, I, I want to celebrate. And, and Jesus says, and in the same way, God is always out pursuing that one. God, is, it, God, God loves the 99 that are righteous, but God's heart is that we pursue that one that is lost. And then Jesus goes on, he says, or there's this widow. There's this widow, and she loses a coin. Now, this widow is poor, and this coin is like, it is substance, it's food, it's, it's dinner. And so she searches everywhere for it. You know, she searches, she searches in the kitchen, underneath those, you know, the little things in the cupboard that come out, like, you know, and you've got to search underneath there and see, you know, usually it's like potato chips under there, but in, in my house at least. And then, you know, the, there's no coin there. And then she goes into the cushions on the couch, you know, and she pulls it up and she goes, what happened underneath these cushions? Like someone's been eating dinner under the cushions. Gross. And so, but she, then she even like, she's so desperate, she looks under the couch and she can't see it because, you know, the little, little lining on the couch has come down because the dog chewed on it and it's, it's down, down. And she reaches, she's so desperate, she reaches down into the crevices of the couch. And you never know what you're going to find down. Like, you know, like you usually use the vacuum cleaner because you're like, I don't want to touch whatever's down in those crevices. But she's searching everywhere. She is desperate for it. And when she finds it, and she does, oh, good, I found that coin. No, she celebrates. She is excited. She's like, what was lost is found, and I am celebrating. Rejoice with me. And this is the story that Jesus tells us, like rejoice in the, the common thread through these two stories. Right? Something is lost. There is an all-out search for that thing that is lost. And when it is found, 
there's a celebration. There's a rich and great celebration, and this is the point of Jesus' story and what's in common with all these stories is that there's a celebration. What's lost is found. It's worth celebrating. God throws a party. Do you know how much you matter to God? Do you know how much you matter to God? He went out of his way to pursue you, to help you find your way back home to him. And do you know how much people in your life who've never met God matter to God? And he is on an all-out search for them. And he wants us to to be on that search too. And when we're found, in that moment of being found, in that feeling of being found, of being like, there's something greater that I can be a part of. I am not unloved. I don't have to try to prove myself to the world anymore. God loves me. I am part of his family. I have assurance of heaven. I have eternal destiny now as heaven and not hell. In those moments of being found, let's just celebrate that. Celebrate that. And not only does he celebrate what was lost to be found, but we celebrate with him. We celebrate his grace with him. And this is what This is what finding a brand new life is all about. It's about constant celebration of God's grace. God's grace towards you, helping you be found, and now what you have in that. And God throws a party with that and says, I want you to celebrate God's grace. Now the question is, how do we do that in our lives? I mean, realistically, how do you celebrate God's grace in your life every day? Because I don't know about you, but there are days I get up and I lost an hour of sleep, and I'm just not in the mood to celebrate, right? I'm like, Alarm goes off, and you turn it off. Like, I am not celebrating right now. Like, I just, I'm tired, I'm exhausted. How do you celebrate? What is the measurement of that? So there's this, there's this uh, psalm, Psalm 63, this passage in Scripture, and it's written by someone, a, a psalm of David, who is a seeker of God, and, and this is what he says about celebrating. And this is a guy who is a man after God's own heart because he was always celebrating, and this is what he says. Oh, God, you are my God. Earnestly, I see. Earnestly, I I seek you all the time. I am always reminding myself that I was lost and now I'm found. Earnestly, I am looking for you everywhere, God. In the same way that you look for me, I'm digging my hands down in the couch cushions because I am looking for you. I am going out of my way. I know that there's things in my life that are going on here, but I am earnestly seeking you in the same way that you earnestly were seeking me. He says, my soul thirst for you. My body longs for you. About eight, ten years ago, I don't know when it was, I was down in Biloxi, Mississippi on one of our missions trips. And um, in, I don't know, Nate, like July, is that when we were down there? Okay, so it was in July, which is, it's like being on the surface of the sun in Biloxi, Mississippi in July. And so you would be working, right? And you'd be pounding nails for habitat, you'd be up on the roof, or you'd be outside, and and it is so hot. And they're always telling you to take a drink, but like you're trying to get something done and you're pounding nails. You want to finish what you're working on first. And there comes a time where you just realize how thirsty you are. Have you ever been outside in the like summer heat and you've worked for a long time and you realize, I am so thirsty. And, and if there's not a drink around and you know it, it just, it just increases it. Like when you know that it's dry and thirsty, you're like, I don't know when I'm going to drink next like you start thinking about how thirsty you are, and suddenly it's like, oh, I can't breathe, give me a drink. Like, I'm not going to make it. My kids still do that. I still remember my kids doing it. Like, we'd be on a long trip, and they'd be thirsty. They'd be like, Dad, you've got to stop for a drink. We're dying. We don't, we, we don't have anything to drink. I'm like, 
you're in the car. Like, we will stop eventually. Like, no, Dad, you don't understand. You don't understand how dry my throat is. <laughs> you know, have you ever had that with your, your all right, it's a little bit of drama, but my kids are good at that. So um, when you're that thirsty, this is what the psalm, writer of the Psalms is saying. Be that thirsty for God. Realize how dry life is apart from God. Realize that on your own, you have busyness and worry you have on your own, you have trying to figure out your way, you are feeling lost, you are feeling alone, like on your own, those are the feelings of thirst. Those moments in your soul that are stirring, that you're, that you're hungry, and people medicate them all the time by doing other stuff, whether they're staying busy or using alcohol or whatever they use, they try to medicate those feelings that when you're feeling harried in your soul, and do you know what that harried feeling is? It is a thirst and hunger for God. So how do we celebrate God's grace? Well, David would say, look for God. Look for God. Search for him the way he has searched you. And by doing so, you'll be celebrating God's grace. You'll be reminding him all the time. It means taking this wager. God, if you're real, make yourself real to me. And making it your prayer all day long, unceasingly praying. God, if you're real, make yourself real to me. Get up in the morning and you don't feel like getting out of bed and you pray this prayer. God, if you're real, make yourself real to me. Wake me up. Help me to look for you today. Help me to seek you. There's a bit of that, I call it the, the want to want to. You know what I'm saying? The want to want to. Like sometimes you, you want to, but you don't want to. You know, there's something between you and the want, but you want to want to. And it's in that moment, it's in that searching for God that God invites us to it. But I know that how easily that gets lost. It gets lost in all of our parenting. It gets lost in running back and forth to sports. It gets lost in our home, the homework that we're doing. It gets lost and we become apathetic and we forget of God's grace and how good it is and what God wants for us. But God wants to write an amazing story in your life. God did not relentlessly pursue you even to die on the cross for you to not write an amazing story in your life. God wants to write it in your life, and he is inviting you to be part of it. I had a mentor once when I was talking to him about the want to want to and how I wanted to want to, but I wasn't quite wanting to want to. And he said, Sean, the biggest part, the biggest part of your walking with God that will change you, the biggest part of kind of celebrating God's grace and having it infused into your life all comes down to one word. It all comes down to this one word, desire. It comes down to this desire in you to seek God. To seek God even when you don't feel like seeking God. To say even when things are going wrong, like not just in crisis, because, you know, sometimes we go, well, this whole seeking God thing, well, that's good for when, when I'm in crisis. When my life is falling apart, I'm seeking God, or at least seeking what God can do for me. And, and when my, when, 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 well, that, maybe that's for those spiritual people. You know, there's, those are for pastors. They're the ones who have, they have time to seek God all the time. But, but me, I, I've got busy, I've got kids, I've got to do all these things. It all comes down to desire. Desire drives us to change our priorities, doesn't it? I mean, when it really comes down to it, in our Monday through Saturday life, the difference between earnestly seeking God and putting our hands in the couch cushions to find him or not is down to desire. The real test of do I really desire God, doesn't it come down to 
Monday through Saturday, what am I doing to earnestly seek him? Now, there's two places that we celebrate God. Typically, we see it in the life of Christ. We see it in our own lives. And it comes down to this idea of celebrating God's grace personally and corporately. And those two things work together. They're like two puzzle pieces that fit together. Celebrating God's God's grace personally in our lives and seeking him through our our daily practices. And it's in that desire and that want to want to that when I open up the scripture and I read it and I know, you know, I've had conversations with a lot of people who are like, ah, like either I don't like to read, which I go, well, I don't, there's a lot of things I don't like to do. But if they're good, like I don't like to eat certain things, but they're good, like I hate green beans, but I eat them anyway because they're good for me, right? I mean, I mean, I'm not saying punish yourself, right? But it, but there are, I, don't, I don't like to, I mean, honestly work out, but I know how good it is for me. I know what the other side of working out is for me. And so I do it because it's so healthy and so good for me. There are so many things that we do. And, and for some people, too, it's like, well, I'm not good at reading. That's okay. Do you know how much access we all have to listening to Scripture now or to listening to a podcast of someone explaining Scripture now? Like, like we really are people without an excuse when it comes to, like, Am I earnestly seeking God? There's a lot of available ways for you to seek God. My point being, it's not about doing this. It's not about, I, I did my job. It's about, am I looking for God? It's about my want to want to, my desire helps me read these scriptures and, and ask myself the questions. Not what does this mean for others or what does this mean, but what does this mean for me, God? What do you want me to know, God? Because I want to know you. Father, I want to know you. So I... Please be in my life and change me as I'm reading Scripture, as I'm seeking you. That, that's what God's inviting us to, into relationship. Into relationship. God wants to be with you all the time, personally. And then there's corporately. Now, I read an article recently. Um, it's actually probably not an article. It was actually written by uh, William Law from the 1800s. But he talked about, he talked about church. And he was talking about public worship. And how often we come, and if I said to you this morning, let me just ask you the questions that he asked. He said, if I were to ask you, um, where is the stage? You'd probably point up here. And who are the actors on Sunday morning, public worship? Who are the actors? You might say, oh, well, that's the worship team or the pastor. They're the actors. And he said, who's the audience? Oh, that's us. We sit in the chairs. We're the audience. He says, this is not God's dream of worship. This is not God's answer to worship. So instead, what we ought to be able to say is when we come to public worship, the entire thing is the stage. And we all are the actors. Because the audience, the audience is God. And we come and worship not to get, but to give. To give our adoration to God. And we are all participants in that. We are all actors. When we worship together, it's not them singing and then you doing whatever, it's you participating and saying, God, I want to give you my adoration today. I am participating in worship. I am a part of this. I am, you know, when people like do this thing in worship and some people think, what are they doing? They're reaching up to their father and they're saying, I love you. I want you. I am giving myself and my worship to you. This is what we all do in worship. This is why worship is important. This is why you prioritize it because it's the one place that reminds you that God, is more important than your schedule. That God is more important than your own priorities. It's the one place that we all come together and you see other people doing the same thing, saying the most important 
person in my life as God, and that there's not, it's not just my opinion. There are other people on this journey with me. And that's what worship's about. That's what celebrating God's grace is about. And even in this moment, like, as you're receiving whatever I'm, whatever I'm speaking about, whatever I'm pointing to Jesus about, it's not just about you getting it. It's about you adoring God over it, saying, God, what's this mean for me? What do you want to speak to me? That should be what our life is about. And that's what Jesus was inviting in this story. And then Jesus was inviting us not just to celebrate God's grace, but to also connect with God's family. The story of the prodigal son, his second invitation was to say, I want you to be connected, connected with God's family because we're better together. So let's look at the second point of being connected with God's family and what that means for every one of us. The prodigal son was brought back to the family, and he was, he was excited about being back. He wanted to reconnect because he knew what it meant to not be connected. And there's something sweet, isn't there, about being connected to a family that, and, that embraces you, that helps you, point you to God. And that's what, God, that's what that story was about. But there was, it wasn't just the prodigal son in the story. There was also the elder son in the story. And in fact, there was something significant about the elder son, something significantly different about this story, too. Do you notice in the first two stories, what happened? Something was lost. There was an all-out search for it. And when it was found, it was celebrated. But in this story of the prodigal son, something was lost, and there was not an all-out search. There was not an all-out search. And the elder son was a part of that issue. And a part of the elder son's issue, we, found, we find in Luke 15, 28, the older brother was angry, and he wouldn't go in, the Scripture says, and his father came out and begged him. He was angry. What was he angry about? What was his complaint? His anger was about this. He said, I have done everything to achieve. I have done all the rules. Father, I've done all this. I deserve the party. I deserve all this stuff. This, is, this should be about me, this party, not about him. He didn't do any of those things. What, why isn't this about me? You've never thrown a party for me and for my friends. Why? You see, you see what lot, lot the word was over and over that he's using me, I, it's all about me. Why, why isn't this about me? Why shouldn't this be about me? Father, don't you know that this is about me? But his dad is offering something else in Luke 15, 31. His father said to him, look, dear son, you've always stayed with me. Everything I already have is yours. In other words, son, all this stuff that I have, that's not even what's important to me. That's not what the whole point of this party is. The point of this party is not that I'm giving something to your younger brother who doesn't deserve it. The point of this party is that he was disconnected from our family. He was lost. Now he's found. He has connection. He has relationship. And this is the issue for the, for the elder son. He fell in love with achievement, moving up in his family, but... In somewhere in it, he lost his connection with his dad. Somewhere in it, he lost that what was important to his dad is that they have a relationship, that he have a relationship with his family. And what his father was inviting him to is, listen, son, what's really important to me is that you be connected. Because we're better together. We are better together. And if you try to live your life apart from the church, like you're like, oh, yeah, I'm a part of the church, but you don't have significant relationships in the church, you will eventually find yourself stuck, probably disillusioned, because you need those voices in your life. You need to rub shoulders with people, because you know when life change happens? The life change that you're going to experience is going to happen 
in relationship. Relationship with God, but often in relationship with others who are also seeking God. And in those moments where you don't feel like seeking God, do you know who's going to help you seek God? Those people that you're in relationship with. That's why we're always saying around here, get connected. Be in connection. If you isolate yourself, you cannot even... God, God says, I, I don't want you to have this relationship without this relationship. In fact, you do, if, if you're feeling like, well, maybe that's true, then consider this. Even Jesus, when he came to the planet, gathered 12 men around. He could have done anything. He could have planted a huge church. He could have done anything. But instead, he established 12 friendships. And those 12 friendships changed the world. But do you know why he did it for them? Do you know why they needed those friendships? Because he knew where he was headed to the cross. And in the moment of tragedy, of crisis in their life, where did they turn? To each other. I mean, when the resurrection happened, where did the gals who found Jesus, who went together, by the way, to the tomb to find the empty tomb, where did they run back to? To a place where they were gathered together. They found each other. See, it's a crisis in our life that we need each other. You need people in your life that know you and can help you and inspire you. We need to be a community of grateful sons and daughters of God who are loved and are earnestly seeking God. And if you're missing that, and it's easy to miss it in our culture because our culture, our culture is rich on achievement and bankrupt on relationship. And even with all the technology and connecting tools that we have, we are shallower than ever when it comes to relationship. We are less known than ever. And let's face it, people that know you on Facebook don't really know you, do they? And you don't really know them. You only know what they present. But to know a person is to live life with them, is to rub shoulders with them, is to know what they're thinking and feeling and being, and being able to challenge each other and grow together. That's what it means to be connected. And my kids ask all the time before they're going to go someplace or do something, you know what the first question is? Every teenager, this is your first question, isn't it? Before you go do something, what's your first question? Who's going to be there? Who's going to be there? That's what determines if I go. Who's going to that party? Who's going to play ball? Who's going to be there? That ought to be our first question, too, in the church. Who's going to be there? Because I, I know someone. I have a relationship with someone, and I care that they're there. That's what God wants for everyone. It's worth it's worth it. It will change your life. And I know sometimes that can be scary because you have to be vulnerable. You have to open yourself up to things, and that can be scary. But I guarantee you the reward of being connected and being known and having your life changed by someone else is totally worth it. So I encourage you, you've got to be connected. Find a small group. Find a place at daybreak where you can be connected, and it will truly change your life. And it will help you help others to have their life changed. So a life-changing journey consists of celebrating God's grace, consists of connecting, connecting with God's family because we're better together. And then the last thing is it, it consists of contributing to God's work. And what is contributing to God's work? It's contributing to God's work of helping others find their way home. This is the true message of this story. The true message of the prodigal son is that we are all to contribute to God's work. And the one thing that Jesus wanted us to know in this story is that we should be being on that search for God. We should be on that search for God. You know, had the elder son really known the father's heart, had he been really been in relationship with his father and they were talking about his youngest brother, what do you think the elder son would have done in the story that would have been different? Don't you think he'd have gone looking? Don't you think he'd have said, Dad, 
I'll go talk to him. I'll see what I can do. I'll try to help. Don't you think that would have been his reaction? But I think the lack of relationship that the elder son had with his dad, this is the point of the story, he missed all of it. Now, I think, because this is true in my own life, as I fell in love with Jesus, something happened. Over the first year or two where I was not just knowing about God, but really seeking, earnestly seeking God, meeting Jesus, knowing who he was, making him the forgiver and the leader of my life, something happened. I went from being about Sean's agenda to being about Jesus' agenda. I started moving in Jesus' direction. And I believe that if you really love Jesus, you can't not love his mission. In other words, if you fall in love with Jesus, you fall in love with his mission and what he's about. Now, you already know this is true because you all, if you've ever been interested in someone else or you fell in love with someone else, what happens? I mean, I mean listen, before I met my wife, I, I didn't even like to go shopping in malls or anything. Like, I, I couldn't tell you what a girl would want to wear because I barely, I mean, I only shopped T-shirts and jeans. That's all I cared about. Like, I didn't have nice clothes or nice shoes. I didn't care about such things. But when I met my wife, those things started to become important. And, it, and now, right, I've fallen in love with Susie. Guess what? I can go into a store and I can pick out, I'm like, hey, I think you'd like this. Right? I mean, this is like, I've, I've picked out dresses that my wife likes. This is crazy to me. Like, I had no interest in this at all. And now I am. And do you know why? Because I love her. And that's important to her. So guess what? It's become important to me. And if you love God, What's important to God becomes important to you. And if you're in a relationship and what's important to that other person continues to be not important to you, it should cause you to question, what am I doing in that relationship? Is it about me or is it about loving them? Because love draws us in. And this is, this is the story that Jesus told. And for the elder brother, see, there's the notorious sinners that are listening to the story. There's the Pharisees, the religious folk. The guy, you know, the people who, like, they know all the words to the worship songs. They know what time to show up. They do all the, um, by outside standards, they're doing all the right things. They're the 99 righteous. And Jesus is telling them this story because he wants them to understand. He says, listen, this elder brother, guess who that is in the story? Guess who it is? Two religious folk who have forgotten that to love me is to love my mission. And, and you've forgotten that my grace pursued you. And now you should pursue others. That there are people in your life that you want to be in love with. That, that you've got to love like God loves. This is Luke 15, 32. But it says, but we had to celebrate and be glad. This is the Father speaking. Because we had to celebrate. Elder said, we had to be glad because your brother was dead. And now he's alive again. He was lost, and now he's found again. This is what's important to Jesus, and it ought to be important to us. And I want you to hear a story now. I want you to be able to celebrate the same thing in your life because sometimes we need to be reminded of what it means to help someone find their way back. Um, Doug and Linda White have been part of, part of Daybreak for a long time. Doug's on staff. There's, they have a friend named Bev, and they recently invited Bev into a whole new journey, and she accepted that invitation and began to follow Jesus. And I want you to hear a little bit of her story and be reminded of how sweet it is to be a part of God's mission.
There was a time in my life where I'm not very proud of myself. I was very angry with God. Our family was dealing with a, a child who had a drug addiction problem, and it seemed the more I asked God why, or I asked God for some answers, he seemed to be ignoring me. And our family situation only became more chaotic and dysfunctional. I blamed God, I hated God, I cursed God. I wanted nothing to do with God if he wasn't going to answer my prayers. Then one Sunday, Linda and Doug, my good friends, asked Nevin and I to come to church with them. And I said, why not? I haven't been to church in a while. And I know that Linda and Doug love this church. Well, after hearing the sermon, I was pleasantly surprised. I said, well, you know, that was pretty good. I can relate to that. And uh, I said, maybe I'll come back again. And I came back again and again, and that was a year and a half ago. But my true healing came the one Sunday when I heard Pastor Rick talk about forgiveness. I was really scared. I really wondered, was God going to forgive me? I was angry. I was cursing him. I denied him. The tears were streaming down my face. But a calm came over me. And that's when I knew I was forgiven. And the girl next to me, sitting beside me, just rubbed my back. And that's when I, I thought, wow, that is true love. No judgment, I was forgiven. Now I was able to start my journey to follow Jesus. I was forgiven, and I knew he'd be with me at my side the whole way. I was humbled knowing that I had to give up my will to live one day at a time and let him have control. That was hard for me, but I know God loves me and with his help, I can do it. I talk at meetings with the Al-Anon people and uh, at one of the meetings, one of the people that come all the time and whatever we were discussing said to me, boy, Bev, what was it that really made you change? Because now nothing seems to be upsetting you like, like you would get so bad before. And we all started laughing. And I whipped out the card and I said, well, I pray this prayer all the time. This is the prayer. I had it all folded up, but this is my good one. It says, Father, you are great and you are good. I need your help. They need your help. Thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen. That prayer helps me also realize that I'm not too proud now to ask for help, and I need his help. Today, it's really hard for me to believe that I was in such a dark place, and I was so angry with God. I've had people tell me that I'm not the same person I was five years ago. They can see it in my smile my actions, my words, and in the contentment of my faith, I feel so blessed that I can take one day at a time with God. 
I wear this feather because it reminds me that my problems are as light as a feather in the hand of God. I finally feel important to God and I'm blessed that I can accept His graces. We all have a story, and uh, the story includes hopefully God changing your life, but also usually includes someone else who helped you find your way there, helped you find your way home. The elder brother that actually came looking for you, his name was Jesus, but he shows up in your own life, how you look for others. When you see someone's story like Bev, you have to go, man, that is what life is truly about. That's what's really fulfilling to see someone's life truly changed by Jesus. And we started talking about what it means, what it felt like to be lost. To be lost and, and, and feel that gut feeling of, I don't know how to get home. But have you ever been on the other side of that? You know that feeling, maybe as a parent, we've lost your kid? Anybody relate to that story? I remember um, when my children were young, Jacob and Caleb, they were maybe, um, I don't know, three or four. And uh, we were at the airport. We were, going to, we were flying someplace. And just for a second, I had their hands, and I reached down to get a suitcase, and I turned around, and one of them was gone. It's gone. And in that moment, parent, right, like your whole world comes apart. And you will move heaven and earth to go find your child in an airport. I mean, we were looking, we are searching the hallways, and we're looking around, and then people can see, I mean, people can visibly see the panic on you, and like, what's wrong? How can we help? Unfortunately, when you have twins, and they're like, what does he look like? You just grab the other and go, like this. Look for one like this. But I moved heaven and earth. And here's my point. In that moment, in that feeling, this is what God feels for every single person that matters to him and is lost and needs to be found. And it is what, if we're falling in love with Jesus, he wants us to feel too. The same the same sense for those people in our life who are lost and they don't have God and they don't have God's forgiveness and they don't know what it means to follow God and to have that joy in your life and the sense of who God is in your life. This is what he wants for you to be about in your life too. He invites you into that same journey, the great rescue mission to awaken people to a brand new life, a life that they might not even know that they could have. One of, the, one of the most beautiful moments recently I've had in a service was last week when we just talked about the prayer wall. And in the, I mean, within 10 seconds of me talking about the prayer wall and the song started, you all were up back at that wall because you had someone's name on your lip that you cared about and you wanted to write their name there and say, please pray for my friend. I'm going to pray for my friend. I want them to have life change. I want them to come to Easter. I want them to start a new journey. I'm going to invite them. I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to take what God's given me, and I want to pour that into them. And that's why God gives us life change, so that we can pour it into someone else. The whole whole sake of your life change is for the sake of others, and to pour your life into someone else. And so this morning, even, I'm going to give you that opportunity again. And if you don't need to write another name up there, then you go back and pray over names that are already there because all of those people matter to God. Every person you lock eyes with matters to God, and he has that sense in him of they are lost, and I want them to be found. So today, I want to encourage you because this is what, when Jesus was asked, why did you come, this is what he said. I came to seek 
and save that which was lost. And that's the, that's the whole point of the prodigal son story. A brand new life for every person who needs to be found. Will you join me in prayer? Lord Jesus, today I come and I, I pray this prayer for all of us. Awaken in me a brand new life. Awaken in me life change. You know, God, sometimes it's hard to believe that you would celebrate my homecoming with the angels in heaven, that you would throw a huge party for me. Help me to celebrate that grace. The grace that you have poured out, the celebration that you want to have, help me to celebrate it with the same passion in my own life for the sake of others. Help me to experience life change so that others can too. God, will you help me to see others the way you see them? Will you help me to connect with people inside God's family and outside God's family in a way that is authentic and real so that they can discover you? I love you, Jesus. Help me to love what you love. Helping others find their way. In Jesus' name.